As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Hockey Show Prospect Series. Hey everybody, Max Boltman here alongside Corey Promman for another episode of the Athletic Hockey Show's Prospect Series. We just wanted to hit you with a quick episode this week. We were actually going to be off, but then things got newsy in the NHL world and especially in the prospect world. And Corey, I, I was on the, the show yesterday with Haley Salvian and we were talking a little bit about the Gauthier trade, but really I, I, I'm curious to get your take on this. Uh, obviously a, a prospect for prospect trade of, of two prospects of this caliber is not an everyday occurrence. Uh, and, and a needle mover. And this one has a bunch of moving parts. And so I, I wanted to kind of get your your overall reaction to this deal. Right. I mean, any commentary on this deal uh, is hard to make without, you know, pointing out that the, the deal only happens if Gauthier forces his way out of Philadelphia. And the exact reasoning to why he forced his way out of Philadelphia, I think is the most interesting part of this uh and it's something that none of us really know. Uh, their camp has decided to be real quiet about it. Um, I think I saw Kurt Overhart, his his advisor the other day, say we're taking the high road. I dispute whether they're taking the high road or not. Uh, but they are are they have chosen not to talk about why they wanted out of Philadelphia. So it's hard to sit, you know, make a thorough analysis of the situation uh, with, without knowing all the details. Uh, but all, in terms of the players, like Cutter Goche is a great player. But I think Jamie, at the end, you know, when people have talked a lot about Cutter and the talent and the you know his great world juniors and everything, and and he's a you know a true top prospect. But I think Jamie Drysdale's uh, abilities in this conversation have been lost a little bit. I think he's a really good hockey player. I think uh, in terms of pure talent, he's right there with Cutter. I think the issue. The issue with Jamie has been that he's been hurt a lot the last few years. He hasn't played a lot of hockey the last two seasons. I think. Maybe it's been like 20 games, something over the last two seasons. Um, and that's not ideal, especially when you're a small defenseman and now you have an injury history. Uh, so I understand there's some there's some risk variables there. Uh, but as a you know, he's an elite skater, he moves pucks really well, he's competitive, high character, could be a legit 
uh, high minutes, two-way defenseman in the NHL, um, but, uh, presuming he stays healthy. If, if I could ask you to put your GM hat on in a minute, if you hear that a prospect like Cutter Goche is suddenly available, how much of, from Pat Verbeek's standpoint, how, what's your response to trying to get to the, the root of not just can I get him, but like what's, because I don't know that, you know, Philadelphia doesn't seem to know what's going on. It's a hard conversation, trade conversation to have. Are you almost asking why are you trading me this this player all of a sudden? Well, that's what I meant at the at the top is that there's some weird details around this situation right now. Philadelphia has said we don't know why he wanted out, and then when Cutter Goche was introduced to the Anaheim media the other day, he said there was a number of situations that had occurred over the last two years that led up to this. So, and, you know, we've heard the rumors about something about him playing time or cap overages. And when I hear all this stuff, something is missing from this picture. There's something strange about the situation. There's some critical detail that I feel like not just ourselves in the media, but even talking to people in the league that generally is not well known at the moment that had, that led to this. And yes, if I was at Anaheim's position, I see Cutter Goche, who's a 6'3 forward, who skates well, who has legit skill, who has a bullet of a shot, you know, could be a, be a legit top line forward in the NHL. Is he a center or a wing on their team? You know, particularly when you have Leo Carlson and Nathan McTavish, never mind Trevor Zegras already, you know, who knows? But he's a, you know, he's a great prospect. Uh, but if I hear he's on the market, uh, I probably do want to know a little bit more to the story here in terms of why was he available? Uh, because you don't want to be walking into a situation where something analogous happens to your organization. It may not be the exact same facts, but you may run into a different situation now with, with Cutter Goche. You kind of want to know, is this somebody, did something really bad happen in Philly that a reasonable person will want out? Or was it the opposite? And uh, and you might be buying yourself uh, a problematic player. Uh, so I do hope that if uh, Anaheim did get the answer to that question. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When we'd look at the Ducks prospect pool, we talked about this in the article that you and I did with Scott in the in the immediate aftermath of this trade the other night. I now look at this and I look at Leo Carlson, Mason McTavish, Trevor Zegers, and now Cutter Gauthier. I think that's as formidable a group of young forwards as I can see in the league, not just because it's a bunch of high picks, but because it's a bunch of high picks that have some 
traits that are hard to find size, compete, the ability to play center, uh, all of them can score and, and can bring offense. Is that a fair assessment? Is this as good a, a collection of young forward prospects as exists in the league now? Well, I think the question is, what's the future with Trevor Zegers in Anaheim right now? Like, I, I love Trevor Zegers. I think he should have a future in Anaheim. And I think he provides some you know, truly special skill and hockey sense elements to that organization. But you know, he doesn't have maybe the compete that the other guys have. He doesn't have the uh, maybe even like the speed that someone like Go- Goche or McTavish has. Uh, so, but I do think... Yes, if those presuming you can build around that core, never mind someone like a Troy Terry who's a very good player. Yeah. I do, I do think that can be a you know a great set of forwards to build around. And then the question then becomes Anaheim, and I love Pavel Michikov and Olin Zellweger, or Tristan Luno are good young defensemen. Uh, but then the question is, how do you build on defense from there on out? And I think the answer to that is in this draft, like we've talked about how good uh, the, this draft class is on the blue line. And I think we're going to talk about that uh, again in a minute here when we get to the central scouting rankings. But I was having a, a little bit of a debate with Haley on the show yesterday, and I would love to get your thoughts on this. Anaheim is very much in the lottery mix here, and it is not out of the realm possibility at all that they win the draft lottery and the right to select Macklin Celebrini, who is the, the presumptive number one overall pick. My my feeling though is I think it's an interesting question whether you just do what you know your the lottery is supposed to be for take the best player add another amazing young center into your organization or would this be a situation where you really consider trading back knowing you need the D and you can get some assets to to move back and do that right and I think there's outside of say the first overall pick which would be I think Celebrini right now if the draft happened today but and I feel pretty confident in saying that uh, I think after that I think there's going to be a lot of positions very early in the draft where uh, the best player available is going to be a defenseman I think there's uh, I would say three to four truly exceptional defense prospects in this upcoming draft and uh, presuming Anaheim's going to finish at the bottom of the standings which is feels like where they're trending right now. Uh, I, I feel they have a very good chance to add a premium defenseman to their organization. And I think San Jose is kind of in the same spot, right? Where I think you look at their organization, they have Will, they have guys like Will Smith um, in their in their organization. In an ideal world, uh, they would add a premium defenseman if they don't get Celebrini. I think that both them and Anaheim are in a position to either add an outstanding, uh, uh, you know, dynamic two-way center to the organization or get that defenseman that they really need. But if you're Pat Verbeek and that, and that on lottery night, Bill Daly's showing your card, are you thinking, okay, now we're going to have Celebrini, Carlson, McTavish, Gautier, or, or are you thinking, let's see if we can stockpile another asset and, and get the D we were maybe thinking we were going to take anyway? Well, that's where I think you start seeing like, you know, like I said before, the aforementioned Zegers conversation and stuff yeah. like that. But I, I, I would have a very hard time saying no to Macklin Celebrini. I, I, I that guy's special. Um, you know, he's, he's a legit first overall pick, potentially an above average first overall pick. Like he's, he's a, he's pretty freaky in terms of, so it's those, the way he plays the game and uh, with no notable weakness at all in his game, which is not something I ever almost say about any prospect. I found weaknesses in Bedard's game. I don't think there's any weaknesses in Celebrini's game. Like this guy's a really special hockey player. Flyers side of this trade, and we talked about this in the article as well, they are the ones who get the now player. And I, I do think that that works for them okay. Obviously, you're not 
happy with how the whole situation transpired, but you are getting a guy who I think they plugged him right onto their top pair the other night. Uh, and they are the team that's in a playoff race right now. And from that standpoint, I think if you're the, the Philly fan, the silver lining is, as you said, you still get a talented player, but you get one who can help you right now as you're in a playoff race, whether or not we think they're going to stay there. They are in one right now. Yeah. And I think that their team has been one of the, one of the better stories. I think of the first half and you look at not just the, you know, in terms of how they're playing, you see like young players like Tyson Forster and Bobby Brinker having very nice years for them. I went tip is continuing to progress in a very positive direction. Uh, you know, the other starting to get some, you know, guys like Cam York playing big minutes for them. It's, it's, you know, it's been a good story. And I think you add Drysdale, who I think, like I said, is a very good player. could be a legit top four defenseman for them right away. Uh, it, it maybe it, it does help them keep, you know, push for a wild card spot. You know, I think if you ask pure player, is Cutter Goche a better hockey player than Jamie Drysdale? The answer I think is yes, long-term. Do I think it's outrageous to suggest in five, six years that Drysdale could be a better player than Goche? I, I, I don't. I, I think the gap is close enough. I mean, I think that's why you saw it was Drysdale plus a second round pick in two drafts from now. Obviously, there was a there's a leverage component to that too. You know, my my understanding is you know uh, Philly was looking for a specific match. They were trying to get a young defenseman back uh, for Goche. So you know, in terms of the quality of players, it it limits your market there a little bit. Uh, but I don't think he's that far off, and I think Drysdale could be a really big component of the rebuild long term. And and I don't think their rebuild is substantially changed by this trade. I don't think there's between Goche and Drysdale was going to change the trajectory of this team. I still think it's the same core. You're still talking about Mate Mitchkov. You're still talking about whatever uh, player you're going to pick first in this upcoming draft. And I still think the question in Philly is how does this team come together, given that they're not picking the bottom out approach really right now. Uh, and they're not really in a, in a true contending spot right now. And I would say their farm system is, good it's not incredible though so i think that's still the, the question in philly as opposed to how does losing goche but adding uh drysdale uh change your team's outlook both in the short and the long term and i think especially at the center position because we we've seen teams that don't go the bottom out route have a harder time finding those premium centers and that was you know if, if you were someone who was worried are the flyers you know uh in some way like kneecapping themselves by being in this playoff race and not picking high again, one of the one of the remedies was well they already got their top five pick center and that that's a good way out. Like if you don't pick in the top ten, it does get a lot harder to find those potential top six centers. Yeah, and you look at the the Flyers organization right now. It's like you know Morgan Frost has been just okay this year, right? I mean he's sometimes in and out of the lineup. You know, Sean Couture is going to get up there in age eventually. Uh, you look internally in, in their system and there's no clear answer. I mean, I love Matvey Mitchkov, love him, but he is an NHL wing all day. I don't care that he dabbled at centers at time this season. Um, so you're right. I think yeah, I really like a lot of what the Flyers are doing right now as an organization, but I do think there are some big long-term questions, particularly at the center position now without Goche, uh, that they will have to find an answer to. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. 
and I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. Don't just ride the index, seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. All right, Corey, let's talk now about uh, some of the other news that came out this week. That is the midterm rankings from Central Scouting, NHL Central Scouting. Uh, top five from North America, Macklin Celebrini, Artem Levshunov, Caden Lindstrom, Zeev Boyum, fresh off the World Juniors, and Trevor Connolly. And from the European skaters, you've got Konsta Hellenius, Anton Salaev, Ivan Demidov, Adam Yurichek, and Emil Hemming on the top five on the European side. Uh, just kind of first thoughts here, jumping in. I, I one of the things that stood out to me on the North American list uh, was the placement of Zeev Booyam, who has moved up to number four ahead of even a guy like Sam Dickinson in London, uh, another you know really smooth skating defenseman with a bit more size. Are we seeing kind of the effect of, of Booyam's World Juniors here and, and really his whole first half at Denver? Yeah, I think it's more the first half than just the World Juniors. I think you know this guy has been one of the best defensemen in the NCHC um, as a draft eligible, playing big minutes on a top team and. Uh, you know, really skilled, elite hockey sense. He skates well. Uh, you know, this is definitely a guy who I think is moving up teams list really quickly. I think there are legit conversations going on in NHL teams about him versus Cole Iserman, him versus Artem Lefshunov in terms of their the USA regional lists. And, uh, you know, where exactly he goes in the draft? Does he go five? Does he go 10? Does he go 12? I don't know, but he's going to go in in the lottery range for sure. You talked about it in the last segment, those three or four top D here. Uh, do you want to shed any more light on, on who you're thinking of as you're saying that? Uh, well, for me, I think, and I, I, I don't have Boyum in that group as of, as we're recording right now, like I still am trying to put together um, my next ranking. Um, and he's in that conversation. If he's not four, he's five. Uh you know, for me, there's four defensemen that I think have distinguished themselves, and that'd be Anton Solayev and Torpedo, of uh, Sam Dickinson in London, Artem Lefshudo in Michigan State, and Kari Yakinchuk in Calgary. I'm not sure what the order is. And then if there was a fifth that might work the way into that conversation would be Boyum. I think those are the, the premium defensemen. I mentioned four defensemen with size earlier, and that would exclude Boyum. Uh, but I can see him be in that conversation for sure. Uh, but I think those are the guys that I think uh, – for me, anyways, have distinguished themselves early on in this draft process. 
how how uh, rare I, I don't rare might be the wrong word, but for for a D class to have four defensemen of that caliber and they are able to have size and maybe if you bring Boyman into that conversation as your I don't want to put too much pressure on the kid, but I feel like Quinn Hughes is is a comp that we hear for especially just kind of his production as a freshman in college hockey. Um, to have four defensemen with size and then that skilled playmaker, like how rare of an opportunity, important of an opportunity is this for NHL teams who usually struggle to find, uh, you know, blue line help when they need it, especially with some of those physical traits. It reminds me a little of the 2008 draft class a little bit, um, with varying outcomes on that one, obviously, but that's where you had Drew Doughty at two, Zach Bogosian go three, Alex Petrangelo go four, Luke Shen go five, and then you had Tyler Myers go 12. Uh, and then, you know, now funny enough, you mentioned the small puck mover, Eric Carlson goes 15 in that draft. Uh, obviously, <laughs> obviously the order of that would be a little different, um, uh, you know, 15 years later, but I, I think there are some analogies between that class and this one at the top of that draft, you did have, a, you know, a number one overall pick in Steven Stamkos, who was the clear, clear number one in that draft, uh, and as a dynamic center prospect. So I think that dra- the 2008 draft, I think has a lot of similarities to the 2024 draft. Two guys you mentioned that I want to key in on uh, Carter Yakumchuk in, in the Western Hockey League is, is one of those big defensemen with uh, and, and with a, with a big set of hands. I mean, how have you kind of seen him rise over the course of this season? I see. A, I just don't see what there is about this player that you can't like, to be quite honest. I see 6'3, I see a good skater, I see high end skill, I see a big time shot. Uh, he's very physical. Uh, maybe the hockey sense isn't amazing, but I think it's good enough. And, uh, you know, he has a ton of offense. I think he's going to end the year with like 25, 30 goals. And when you have that kind of size and, and mobility and you play hard too, like, I don't know, he looks like a pretty uh, high-end defense prospect. To me, he's like a ba- better skating David Yerchek at the same age. Um, so I, I think, you know, I said, I think – He's right in that conversation with those other guys to be the first defenseman picked. And then I think the offensive uh, production from Salayev out of the gate has cooled a little bit. Obviously, it was never going to stay at that level. And and Torpedo in general. Yeah, Torpedo in general hasn't been winning as much lately. His ice time has gone down a little bit, but it's still the KHL. What is he? What is he at? Like 10, 12 points already as we record this right now? I mean, that's incredible for a 17 year old defenseman uh, to do. And he's still huge and he's still mobile and very physical and i and i get there are some he's slowed down a little bit i didn't think he was going to have a 30 point season in the khl i didn't think that was realistic um but no i yeah i mean just not just my opinion but talking to people around the league everyone's still super high on this player he's the guy when i talk to people around the league and i ask them if somebody were to unseat celebrini who would it be in the 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 most common name is Salayev. I'm not saying he will unseat Celebrini. I think the gap is quite significant at this stage, but he has been the most common candidate as someone who somebody, somebody could talk themselves into. Yeah. We saw Adam Juracek go down at the World Juniors, and it sounds like he's going to be out for the rest of the season, from what I understand. Yes. Yeah. So what does that kind of do to his draft stock here? On the European list, uh, he is number four, like we said. Um which is a good spot to be, but I, I always wonder with guys who don't play down the second half, do you just kind of hold your status or does it end up unfortunately kind of making you slip a little bit? Well, he wasn't playing great in the first half. So I think that's an important context. He was getting limited minutes in the Czech pro league. He wasn't amazing. He went to play with the U 20 team with, with Czechia at the, in November. And he was good, not great. 
Uh, you're really just kind of living off his outstanding Helenka Gretzky, where he was one of the best players there. Uh, played so well that Checky almost actually won that tournament against that loaded uh, Canadian team. Um, and I actually thought in that World Junior game, the first World Junior game, he was actually playing, you know, at a fairly solid level up until the injury. Uh, so it would be interesting to see how his entire tournament would have progressed. Um, so I think, you know, talking to teams right now, I don't think he's, I think coming into the year, you, you thought after Holinka, this guy could be a top 10 pick, not ruling it out. Um, but I would bet more like 10 to 15, I think seems like his projected range right now. And then the, the, the two, I think, wingers that we expected to be talking about in the top five conversation at the start of this year, Cole Eiserman, Ivan Demidov. Uh, Demidov still obviously very high on the Euro list, number three, but Eiserman has slid down a little bit to number eight uh, on the North American list. What are you hearing about Eiserman and, and how teams have viewed his first half? Well, I just think, you know, we had this conversation um, a lot in the 23 draft where I felt like all you were talking about wingers, 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 and then the draft came, there were some defensemen that started creeping up, some centers started creeping up. And I think, you know, premium centers, premium defensemen are always going to be prioritized when it comes to the draft. I would, you know, feel rather confident that those four, maybe even five defensemen I mentioned are, are going to go ahead of uh, either one of Demidov or Eisenman, potentially both. I think Caden Lindstrom and Berkeley Cadden have very good chances of going ahead of both. Both are look like excellent center prospects in, in the Western Hockey League. And I think, you know, I think for wingers to go ahead of those kind of premium center and defense prospects, they have to look like absolute game breakers. And while I think Demidov and Eisman are having very nice years, I don't think they are having the years that make you think that, that they are special elite, uh, you know, bring you out of your seat type, type of wing prospects, like, you know, or have like the special qualities, like say like a Uri Slavkovsky had going into his draft where he was like six, four, he can skate. He had a ton of skill and had those, outstanding performances against men or something like that. I think they have chances to change the conversation. You know, Eiserman has his most important hockey ahead of him with the U with the U18 worlds in April and the five nations in February. Um, and maybe Demidov comes up to play in the pros in the second half at some point. I don't know. That's what Scott did with Mitchkov last year. Um, but based on their play in junior this year, they've both been very good. Um, but I think you asked about Eiserman specifically, I think his game is getting picked apart a little bit um, just because I think there are some concerns on, is his hockey sense anything special? Is his compete anything special? You know, we're looking at, you know, you're trying, people are thinking of, you know, the shoot first wingers that have gone high, guys like Wallstrom, guys like Fellows, guys like Ely Tolvanen. On the worst case scenario or on the best case scenario, maybe he's Owen Tippett. Maybe he is the next Cole Caulfield, which would be a great scenario. But I think those player types tend to get picked apart more. And then just in my experience watching uh, prospects, Guys who are shoot first wingers, um, who don't offer exceptional traits off the puck, uh, tend to rub evaluators the wrong way. And then one more guy uh, off of the World Juniors that I wanted to ask you about, Michael Brandsignigard. I, I did expect to actually see him in the, in the European top five here. He's at number six. He's not far off. But uh, what impression did you get off of him in Gothenburg? More negative than positive, to be quite honest. I don't think he, I think coming in, we were hoping that he was going to have a, a statement World Juniors. And it's tough when you're on one of the bad teams. Like David Reinbacher didn't have a good World Juniors at all uh, last season. Same thing with Marco Casper and his limited World Juniors before it got canceled. He didn't look all that good. But the distinction between those Austrian teams and the Norway team is Norway was not a terrible team. Yes, uh, you know, they uh, eventually got relegated there at the end, but they were in a 
some games. They got power play time. They had puck possession. Uh, you know, they, they, I mean, they, I think against the U.S., what was it like? They lost only like 4-1 or 5-1 to the United States. Yeah, open and, tournament, yeah. Yeah, you know, again, the relegation game against Germany, they were, they were still, that was the game they were right in there with. You know, so they had some competitive games during the tournament and where they had the puck. And I just didn't think he stood out. I think he's a good player. He skates well. He competes. He can shoot the puck. He's got some skill. Um, but there was definitely, I think, a lack of standout traits there from his game that I think would worry some scouts. And if you're thinking this guy is like top 10, top 12, maybe top 15 coming in, my guess is coming out of that tournament, teams are looking at him maybe more as like a second half of the first type of pick. A lot of time left, obviously, remaining and, and uh, more central scouting rankings to come. Corey tees his own rankings, uh, next set of rankings to come. But that is going to do it for us today. Uh, thanks for listening to this episode of the Athletic Hockey Show Prospect Series. You follow us on YouTube at youtube.com slash at the Athletic Hockey Show. And right now, get a one-year subscription to The Athletic for $2 a month when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show. We'll talk to you soon.